this is Penny Johnson, and you're listening to From Stage to Page, an audiobook podcast devoted to the forgotten stories and memoirs of female performing artists from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. In this episode, we continue with My Life and Dancing, written by Maud Allen and published in 1908 by Paul R. Reynolds. Chapter 5 The Human Body, My Instrument The idea that had crystallized in Italy as I stood before Botticelli's Primavera was uppermost in my mind. As yet I had taken no one into my confidence, as I have a nature that dislikes to be influenced, perhaps because of lack of self-confidence, and I wanted to feel fighting fit. Then I would not fear either individual or even public opinions and suggestions. Now I listen to and take from them what I see fit to take, otherwise go my own way, and this I have done from the beginning. I have been trained so from the time I can remember. My parents were, to my mind, very clever in that they never said no or yes in the well-known, all-too-domineering style of many parents. My questions were always cleverly answered, and where a decision was required in minor matters, important, however, in a child's mind, they invariably said, well, Mama or Papa would do so, or would not, but you may do as you think best. Of course, a thoughtful child, or any child trained in this matter, would go off and really think the matter over, and arrive at some conclusion not so stupid either. All my life I have had opportunity in this way to act and judge for myself, and so in this new work I held court and heard the pros and cons of it all to myself, and drew my own conclusions, and wanted no interference from the outside until I felt confident that it would not affect me other than to enable me to sift and get good out of it. Now I found that my interest was more and more attracted to the subject of physical culture. I felt that a healthy, sound, well-toned instrument was the first great necessity for the carrying out of this great work. My body was my instrument, and my thought now was to test and find what was lacking, then to work to remedy the neglected parts. It had always been my habit to do physical exercises every morning after my bath, not set one, two, three, four, hands above your head, out in front of you, down by your side kind of exercises, but just as the spirit moved on. As soon as physical exercises become mechanical, a matter of one, two, three, and a stolid expression, or one of physical pain, their virtue is gone, from my point of view. Body and mind should be en rapport. Even in such a seemingly prosaic thing as after-bath exercises, the body should give expression to a thought. The better, the more poetic, or more musical the inspiration, the more graceful the physical expression. A drill sergeant is all very well for soldiers, dumbbells and elastic exercises for raising up lumps of muscles, 
But a woman who seeks grace of movement is best served when she strives to harmonize motion with inspiration, be it that of music, the graceful figure of some picture or statue that imagination has endowed with moving life, or memory of some nature picture, a wind-rippled cornfield, or the dance of autumnal forest leaves. With such things as these for inspiration and stimulus, time does not count. There is a joy in them all. It is not a question of five minutes by the clock at one, two, three, four, heels together, hands above your head, out, down. One forgets oneself, yet effort and the desire for perfection are there. The desire to give truer, more perfect expression to the inspiration, to attain the unattainable, perfection. All the drudgery of formal practicing and training is lacking. At the same time, the body, by an almost unconscious process, grows more and more responsive to inspiration, a more ready instrument of expression. I have never in my life practiced with one eye on a clock, and to the tick of an imaginary metronome, any more than when my thoughts turned towards fitting draperies I contemplated pink tights and a stiff skirt like an inverted tea saucer. And as I write this, I cannot help quoting Ruskin's beautiful words. Fix then in your mind that your art is to be the praise of something you love. He says also, as soon as the artist forgets his function of praise in that of imitation, his art is lost. His business is to give, by any means, however imperfect, the idea of a beautiful thing, not, by any means, however perfect, the realization of an ugly one. François Delsart's theories teach us that every fiber, every muscle, and every feeling should have its existence so well defined that at any moment it can actually assert itself. His teaching rests on the inseparability of body and spirit, which, united through interchange of effects, results in an harmonious existence. For example, he compared the human being with a musical instrument, the back being the keyboard, the spinal column, the keys, the various members and muscles, the strings. The player of this instrument, the soul, which is designed to transpose the movements of the body into music. So I worked on finding unspeakable joy from delving into any works on the subject that I could find. I felt I had a great grand secret, and I guarded it jealousy. One day I remember well, looking back upon these happy days. There was a child, a little girl, daughter of a well-known American musical critic residing in Berlin, and I set myself to teach her to dance after my fashion, to dance me a story. Her name was Carla, and clever and beautiful she was with fluffy golden curls and eyes of deepest blue shaded by long lashes black as night, I loved this little girl with her heart full of beautiful, pure impulse, and it was a joy to me to whisper a story into her dainty ear and bid her dance it to me. This time I told her of a little girl who wandered into the forest and, plucking a flower, 
blew through the frail stem a note of music. To her the elves and spirits came wandering, and she danced with them until the moon had gone and left the woodland in shadow. When I had finished this simple story, I went away, telling her to think how she could repeat it all in silence. Then it came to me that I surely might so give unspoken eloquence to a music story that audiences would, at my will, come into the woods with me, and would feel sorrow or terror or gladness as I showed it. To set my own interpretation upon the meaning of a master, and to convey that meaning to the accompaniment of the music, was what I longed to do. Thus you see how day by day my work went on, from morning till night, and all the time I was ever thinking, ever trying, ever rejecting, ever accepting new influences. <laughs>